Thank you very much indeed. Lovely to see you all this morning. And uh, the Lord bless you. So good to be back in Monaghan. And if you have your, your Bible with you, and uh, I hope you have, or perhaps your, your device that you can switch on, we're turning to Second Timothy, the second epistle of Paul to Timothy, found in the New Testament, of course. And we're reading from the first chapter. So we're in Second Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1, and uh, a few verses beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we'll end the reading just there at the end of verse 7. And we know that the Lord will, as always, add his blessing to the reading of his own word. Let's pray together, shall we? We'll pray. Our Father, we thank you that we're in your house. We thank you that we sense your presence. We thank you, O God, that we've uplifted our praise to you today. We thank you, O God, for your word now before us. We pray, O oh God, that you will open your word to us in the power of the Holy Spirit and grant, O oh God, that through your word today we might hear God himself speak into the very depths of our lives. And We pray, O oh God, that there you will accomplish your purposes. There you will have your way. And We pray that the outcome, O oh God, will glorify and magnify that precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, because we pray in his name. And amen. Amen. Well, now, Timothy, as you may know, was a, a young man. We know that from his first epistle, and we know that from the references in both epistles. He was a comparatively young leader in the city of Ephesus, and he was very dear, as our reading would suggest, to the Apostle Paul, as indeed was all of Timothy's family. His grandmother and his mother are also mentioned. Now, in these opening verses, Paul tells us 
something about a number of people. He tells us something about himself. He tells us something about Timothy. And he tells us something about ourselves as well. He tells something about you. And he tells something about me. And that's what we're going to look at for a little while this morning. And these things are very simple, and indeed they are very obvious. First of all, he shows five things that we all have in common. Five things we all have in common. And the first of these is found there in verse 3, and it's this. We have a conscience. We have a conscience. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. Now, whether your conscience is pure or not, only you can tell, only God can tell. But one thing is clear, you have a conscience, and I also have a conscience. And then the second thing is this. It's that we have a memory. We have a memory. And we see that also in verse 3. Paul says, I serve God with a pure conscience, and without ceasing, I remember you. This, of course, is to Timothy. I remember you in my prayers night and day. He refers to memory also in verse 4. He says, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears. I remember your tears. I remember your heartaches and your anxieties. And then he speaks of memory again in verse 5. He says, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother and your mother. Then in verse 6, he says, and I remind you, you, Timothy, you have a memory, and I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So we have a conscience, isn't that right? We have a memory. Now, and some memory might be better than others, but we have a memory nevertheless. And then thirdly, we have a faith. There in verse 5, Paul says, I remember the genuine faith, the real faith that is in you. We have a faith. And you have a faith this morning. And I trust your faith is directed where Paul's faith was directed. I trust your faith is directed this morning where Timothy's faith was directed and that that is in God, that God is the object of your faith, that you have placed your faith, you have placed your trust, you have placed, as the hymn writer says, your life, your soul, your all into the hands of God and you're leaning on him, you're leaning on his everlasting arms. We have a conscience, we have a memory, we have a faith. And then, some of you might argue with me now, we have 
a gift. We have a gift or a gifting. Some of you might say, well, you may have, Pastor, and Paul might have had, and Timothy might have had, and these wonderful musicians and singers, they obviously have a gift, but not me. But the Bible tells us that you have a gift. And Paul reminds Timothy of his gift. He says in verse 6, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. And I dare to say this morning also that you have a gift. A gift, whether you're using it or not, a different discussion, but you have a gift. A gift that can be used for the benefit of others. A gift that can be used for the glory of God. And then the fifth thing is this. And don't worry, I'm not going to take half an hour over all these five things. The fifth thing is this, that we have a spirit. We have a spirit. We read in verse 7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. We have a spirit. We have a human spirit. We are not just flesh and blood, but we, we are spirit. There is a part of us that is made to communicate with God, and you today have a spirit, and God has given you that spirit, but God has given his spirit to dwell within our human spirit. If you know Jesus today, if you're saved, if you know your sins are forgiven, if you belong to the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ, then the Spirit of God has come to dwell with your spirit. The Spirit of God fuses with your spirit, and that spirit is not a spirit, says Paul, of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So there are a number of things that we have in common, and no doubt we could go through a longer list. Let's think a little just about conscience. Everyone has a conscience. Conscience, again, is part of our makeup. It's part of our moral makeup. And of course, the scriptures show how many in the world have, have seared their conscience, have silenced their conscience, and thus they feel no guilt when they sin. But in the believer, in the Christian, in the saint of God, conscience should be active, conscience should be sensitive, and like Paul's conscience, we should aim to have a pure conscience. That is to say, a conscience that is clean, a conscience that is clear. Now, Paul didn't achieve that overnight. And indeed, Paul shows us 
elsewhere in the Scriptures, in fact, in Acts chapter 24 and verse 16, that that was something he had to keep working at. There in Acts 24, he says, I myself always strive. It takes effort. It needs work. We have to keep a check on ourselves, on our attitudes, on our thoughts, on our words, on our works. I myself always have striven to have a conscience that is without offense toward God and men. Toward God and men. Is our conscience today pure? Is it clear before God and is it clear before men? Paul knows that you cannot serve God with a guilty conscience. You can go through the motions. You can put on an act, but you cannot serve God if there is something between you and God or if there is something between you and another. And there are things at times that come between us and God, that come between us and perhaps even brothers and sisters in Christ, things that we must put right, things the Bible shows us the necessity to put right. In Matthew chapter 5, in that great Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks about those who are coming to the altar, who are coming to worship, and he says, before you come to worship God, make sure that everything is clear with your conscience before God and before your fellow men. And if it's not, go and put it right. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. And thank God with a clean conscience, with a pure conscience, as Paul describes his, we enjoy closeness to God. We're able to draw near to him. And we will enjoy confidence before God. With a clear conscience, we can ask God. We can bring our prayers to God. We can bring our petitions to God and know that he hears us, that nothing has broken the line of communication between him and us. We have closeness to him and confidence before him. And indeed, we will receive courage from him, courage to go on with this Christian life, which certainly the Bible doesn't tell us is easy, which Jesus never promised would be easy but in fact is, is uphill at times and difficult at times. And the way can be rough and the way can be at times difficult, but with a clean conscience, with open lines of communication between us and God, we will receive courage from him. Going back to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul says to Timothy that you can wage the good warfare. You can, you can fight the battles a Christian needs to fight with the world and with the flesh and with the devil. 
You can fight this warfare having faith and a good conscience. When we have a clear conscience, we have courage from God to fight the fight. And indeed, with a clear conscience, we will know that power and that love and that soundness of mind that we've read about in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. Then, of course, we read that we have a memory. We have a memory. Paul reminds us that we have a relationship with people. He shows us, for example, in verse 3, that he relates to people in prayer. He says, I thank God. We're back in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. We're to remember people. We're to remember people. It's natural that in a letter like this to Timothy, Paul should reflect on his relationship with Timothy, and as we've seen also with his family. And he describes Timothy there in verse 2 as a beloved son. That doesn't mean he was his natural father, but he was a father in God. In the Christian life, they had a father-son relationship. They were that close. And Paul was a people person, and in his letters, he never forgot people. If you read through most of Paul's epistle, you will find that either early in the chapter, early in the epistle, or, or later in the epistle, he will give you lists. And sometimes they're short lists, and sometimes they're very long lists of people. He mentions them by name. Some of them he mentions them not only by name, but by location. Uh, and others he mentions not only by name and location, but he mentions also by ministry, how they serve the Lord and how they have served him. And he was forever grateful that the Christian life, that the Christian family is a great big family. And he remembered people. He never forgot to mention the names of people who labored with him and ministered to him. And for example, here in uh, in Second uh, Timothy chapter one, if we go to the to the end, uh, nearly of the chapter in verse sixteen, he speaks about the Lord granting or praying that the Lord will grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Why? For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Paul was a prisoner when he wrote this letter. But when he, that is Onesiphorus, arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he might find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. There he singles out one person for mention, this man Onesiphorus. 
and he speaks of the various ways. He doesn't tell us what they are, but he says in many ways he ministered to me. There we can overlap with the gift, can't we? That gift that is within you and within me. It may not necessarily be a, a gift for preaching or a gift for singing or, or a gift of, of music or a gift that will project you to the, the forefront of Christian service. It may very well be a background gift, a gift of hospitality, a gift of entertainment, a gift of, and Jesus speaks about it, of even giving a cup of water. Paul speaks here about Onesiphorus refreshing him. Perhaps he provided him with lodgings. He provided him with food. He provided him with the physical necessities of life that, that Paul could continue to undertake his mission and, and ministry. And we all need background people. The church needs its preachers. It needs its pastors. It needs its musicians. It, it needs its, its, its foreground men, but it needs practical people too. Sometimes the pastors are the least practical, or am I just speaking for myself? But in the background, we need the least, we need practical people who will care for the, for the fabric of the church, for the upkeep and the maintenance, for example, of, of the buildings that we, that we call church and in which we meet to, to worship God, who will attend to the financial affairs, who will attend to, to just meeting and greeting people and, and ministering to those who are in need when they see they are in need and doing it without fuss and without publicity. Paul reminds us of our relationship then with, with people. Paul was an encourager of people. And it would appear that Timothy needed a lot of encouragement. Like his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois, Timothy was a person of genuine faith. We read in the middle of verse 5. That's real faith. Timothy's faith was not in word only. It was not in uh, show, it was not in pretense, it was not just a front that he put up, it was real. It was anchored in the depths of his life. And everything was referred, everything to do with his life was in reference to his faith. But yet we read he still needed to be encouraged. If you read through this epistle and read particularly through the first epistle to Timothy, you will see how often Paul speaks of encouraging, words of encouragement to Timothy. Don't let anyone despise the fact that you're a young man. Don't let anyone uh, despise your youth, he says to Timothy in, in the first epistle. And in other ways, writing, for example, to the Corinthians, he says, if Timothy comes to you, he says, encourage him. Encourage Timothy. He may come in fear, and his fear was probably a natural kind of shyness. Encourage him. Get behind him. Timothy needed this encouragement because he was human. Just like you and just like me. 
Paul doesn't write to rebuke him for his fear or his timidness, but he writes to rally him and to revive him, to encourage him. We read in the first epistle about Timothy's struggles with health, his often infirmities are mentioned. And you know, when your health is low, very often your spirit can be low as well. Your temperament can be very low. Your mood can be very low. And perhaps part of that problem that Timothy had was was related to his health. Also, he was a young man, a young leader, invested with great responsibility in this teeming city of Ephesus. And all around him, there were men who were older than him, older than him in the faith. There were There were men who were perhaps more experienced than he in in the faith. And perhaps he felt overwhelmed by them, perhaps even threatened by them. Don't let anyone despise your youth, says Paul to Timothy. Don't let the older, don't let those who appear to be wiser intimidate you in any way. Don't be thrown by them. They, They have their place in you, Timothy. You have yours, and and God has called you to be a leader. Stand up and be a leader. He's encouraging, he's rallying his spirit. He is seeking to revive his spirit. There were maybe strong personalities, and certainly he had to face teachers of false doctrine. And Timothy, it seems, at times, shrunk back from all of that. And Paul comes to remind him that God hasn't given him that spirit of shrinking back, that spirit of timidity, that spirit of fear. But God has given him a spirit of power. Tap into the power. Get under the anointing and of love and of a sound mind, rational thinking. Perhaps Timothy maybe even suffered something of an inferiority complex. He looked at others with their gifts, not just gift, but their gifts. And he felt so small in comparison. He felt so insignificant in comparison that perhaps he had begun to neglect his gift. He had let it grow dormant. He had allowed it to become stale. He had allowed the dust of his fear to settle upon his gift. And Paul has to come with this encouragement, stir up, stir up the gift of God that is within you. And perhaps that's a word that someone needs to hear from God for themselves even this morning. And brothers and sisters, we don't need to put each other down, and we're not called to put each other down. We are called to build each other up, to build each other up in our faith. And of course, God has a perfect memory. Others might forget. They might mean to, but they will. Sometimes memory isn't all that perfect, is it? I'm at the stage and have been at that stage for a long time now where, you know, when you go upstairs for something, 
by the time you get there, you've forgotten what you went up for. And somebody suggested that I should get a pair of these shoes with memory foam. And then I would remember when I'm, wherever I am, what it was I went there for. Sometimes, yes, we forget, but God has a perfect memory. Thank God there are things God chooses to forget. That he chooses, as it were, not to remember. He says, your sins and your iniquities will I remember no more. Glory be to God. Be assured of salvation today. If Christ's in your heart and the blood has been applied, God says, your sins and your iniquities I will remember no more. He goes further. He says, God has blotted them out. God has obliterated them. Thank God at Calvary. But God hasn't forgotten you. He always has us on his mind. He knows us, he delivers us, and he strengthens us. There was a time when Paul felt very much alone, and he refers to this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. He speaks about his first defense, his first hearing in court. He says, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them, but, verse 17, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Paul then remembers his relationship with people. He remembers his responsibility to pray. Without ceasing, he says, I remember you in my prayers. I trust we have what can be called a prayer life. Paul speaks about night and day. And then he speaks about without ceasing. And he encourages us to live in an attitude of prayer. He kept himself in readiness for prayer by keeping himself in touch with God. Prayer is not a matter of how long we spend on our knees, but it's a matter of how much contact we make with God. Be in a state of readiness to pray at any time. We are made to communicate and to communicate primarily with God. That is part of man's uniqueness. The Greek word for man is anthropos. From that word, of course, we have anthropology, the study of man and so on, the study of humanity. And at its root, this word anthropos means upward looker, upward looker. Anthropos equals upward looker equals the human being, you and me. That's why God has made us to be an upward looker, to be looking up to Jesus, to be looking up to God, to be looking up to heaven, to be in touch with God Almighty on his throne. 
Well, time is marching on, and I did say I wouldn't spend half an hour on each of these, so we'll rush now in five minutes and, and close. Paul reminds Timothy of his need of the power of the Holy Spirit. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He is the Spirit who gives gifts. And that's why I suggest to you this morning, you may have a gift. You may have a natural gift, a gift that you have from the day and hour you were born. Or you may have a spiritual gift that, that God has endowed you with since salvation, since you were baptized and filled with his Holy Spirit. But the undoubted factor this morning is this, that you have a gift. He's the Spirit who gives gifts. And his gifts are designed to operate in his power. In writing to the Romans, in Romans chapter 12, Paul gives a very short list of gifts. And remember Romans 12, if you go back to Romans chapter 1, you'll, you'll find that Paul is addressing not just leaders, not just the so-called distinguished people in the church, those who are up there, the hierarchy. But, but Paul is speaking to the ordinary man and woman. He's speaking to all the saints who are in Rome. And he speaks to you and me today among that number. And he says this, having then Having that, not if you have, or there's a possibility that you might have, but he says having, or to put it a more positive way, he says, you have gifts. And he lists those gifts in Romans chapter 12. There's prophecy or preaching, there's ministry and serving, there's teaching, there's exhortation, which is stimulating the faith of others. There's the gift of giving, giving of your substance, giving of yourself. There's the gift of leading. There's the gift of showing mercy. That is the gift of sympathy. And if you go into 1 Corinthians 12, there's another list of gifts. And if you look not only at the beginning of chapter 12, but at the end of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, then there's another list of gifts. And if you go into Ephesians chapter 4, then there's another list of gifts. And Paul suggests, indeed Paul not only suggests, but Paul maintains that each of us within the body of Christ have a gift. We may have a natural gift that salvation and the Holy Spirit in coming to dwell with us has, has sharpened and honed. We, we may have a, a a spiritual gift that we only received at salvation or at the baptism in the Holy Spirit or when, as Paul did with Timothy, a, a brother uh, in Christ, a leader in Christ led hands upon us. Our, our God is a God of creativity. He gives us creative gifts. That's why we've music. That's why this world is artistic. That's why this world is splashed with color 
because God is a creative gift and he hasn't overlooked you. He's a God of diversity. He has made each of us different and given us different gifts and different ways of expressing those gifts. He is a God of generosity. That is to say, he gives liberally to all. He doesn't leave anybody out. The God who has made you and saved you has gifted you to some degree or another and supplied you with his spirit so that your gift may function for his glory and for the benefit of his church and others. That's, that's where our faith comes in. We are to exercise these gifts by faith. Step out in faith and exercise that gift that God has given you. Timothy was a gifted young man. He was gifted for ministry, for preaching, for teaching. God had called him. God had equipped him. But that gift within Timothy had been neglected. It now needs to be developed and exercised. It needs to resurface. It needs to be brought from the depth to the foreground again. Paul is not necessarily rebuking or accusing Timothy here. He is merely reminding him to keep his gift current. Keep the gift current. Keep it available by keeping under the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. The words stir up the gift that is within you are reminiscent of, of, a, of a, a fire, a fire of logs or a fire of coal. And there's a blaze, but then the blaze doesn't continue forever. It, it begins to dim, it begins to dull. And you need to come with a poker or some other kind of implement and start stirring it up to see those embers glow again and to see the flame rise. And we need to do the same with our gift. Keep them stirred up. Fear, timidity, perhaps even a bad experience in the past can hinder the use of gifts and thus it hinders the work of God. Brothers and sisters, let's get with the program this morning. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Even the weakest and shyest of God's people have been given the spirit of power. He's within you this morning. You may be timid. You may be naturally shy. But you must not be controlled by your naturalness. Be controlled by the spirit of the living God who gives power to face any enemy and power to face any task. And you know you might even surprise yourself at what you'll take on and who you'll square up against. Thank God the devil is already a defeated enemy. Love is an essential balance of power. The Holy Spirit doesn't only give power, but he gives love. He gives love so that our power within us, through the Holy Spirit, 
is not used for self-glory, but is used for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. He gives a sound mind. He gives the spirit of self-mastery. That is to say, the Holy Spirit enables us to get a grip on self, on our feelings, on our fears, on our moods, on our anxieties. He enables us to make reasoned judgments. He helps us to do the right thing and say the right thing. That spirit is within us today and enables us to rise even above our natural inhibitions. Brothers and sisters, I conclude like this. We have a conscience. Let's keep it pure. We have a memory. Let's keep it sharp. We have a faith. Let's keep it exercised. We have a gift. Let's keep it operational. And we... Amen.